0: Our reading is Philippians chapter 2, 19 to 30, and also Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, and I'll be reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Philippians chapter 2, 19 to 30. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I also may be encouraged when I hear news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character, because he has served with me in the gospel ministry, like a son with a father. Therefore I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am convinced in the Lord that I myself will also come quickly. But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have one grief on top of another. For this reason I am very eager to send him, so that you may rejoice when you see him again, and I may be less anxious. Therefore welcome him in the Lord with all joy, and hold those like him in honor, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. This is the end of the readings.
1: Well, good morning, friends. It's great to be here with you this morning or this evening uh, whenever you are tuning in to join us for worship. I wanna say thank you to our worship team for leading us so well um, into God's presence. It was, um, yeah, just great to be be, um, present and be able to listen and sing along with you. Well, it came to my attention over the last couple of weeks that there are some people here at Spring Garden that enjoy trivia. So I thought I would start out by giving you a little trivia. Um, and yeah, I think the people in the room with me are around the good, a good age for this one. Um, so they're song lyrics. I'm going to give some song lyrics and see if you know what they are. So no one told me life was going to be this way. Your job's a joke, you're broke, your love life is DOA. <sighs> Thank you, Brandon. It's like you're always stuck in second gear when it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year. But I'll be there for you when the rain starts to pour. I'll be there for you like I've been there before. I'll be there for you because you are there for me too. Does everyone recognize that? Uh, So if you don't recognize that, that's okay. It's from the NBC sitcom Friends. Um, This was a show that was out, oh, I don't know, 90s, early 2000s, and it followed a group of six friends who lived in New York City, and they were all uh, very different from each other. In fact, they all kind of fit uh, a stereotype. You had um, Ross, who was the, the smart one. You had Joey, who was the cool one. Chandler was the goofy or the funny one. Rachel was the pretty one. Monica was the obsessive one. And then you had uh, Phoebe, who was this kind of a free spirit and completely oblivious (laughs) to everything, but very lovable. Now, I loved this show. I spent um, a lot of time that I should have been studying in university (laughs) watching this show with my roommate and uh, just really getting into, into these relationships that were shown on screen. Now, it followed these friends as they, um, you know, they lived in the same apartment building and they all had various jobs and uh, different struggles in relationships. But at the end of the day, um, or sometimes the beginning of the day, they would always come together in this coffee shop at Central Perk. They would always gather around the coffee table and uh, take time to share about their days or laugh or cry um, or do whatever. They would just be together. Now, this show is pretty ridiculous and I haven't watched it in a while so I don't know how well it's aged. Um, But there was something very appealing about these relationships on screen because the characters were all so different from each other, yet they really loved each other, they really cared for each other, and they were united um, by this this mutual caring that they had for one another. Their relationships were very dramatic, um, sometimes very messy. Um, always very funny. But it was just very appealing to watch um, these people doing relationships despite all the differences they had. Now the the passages that we read in Philippians as I was reading them, it struck me that, well, this is Paul's theme song for his um, life with his friends. Paul is introducing us to the people that are important as he is working toward sharing the gospel as he is working in ministry. So he introduces us to Timothy, to Epaphroditus, to Euodia, to Syntyche, to Clement, and to one friend that he doesn't actually give us a name for, but who he calls his true companion. So this is Paul's coffee shop crew. These are the people that he relies on for his community, the people that he relies on for support and care. You know, reading about the Apostle Paul, we know that he was single. He didn't have a nuclear family, like we would say. So his primary community was really those who were sharing in the labor of the gospel with him, who were ministering to others, who were opening churches and spreading the good news of Christ. Now, over the last few weeks in this letter in Philippians, we've been learning about what it means to be a community that is centered on the gospel. And this morning, we're going to look at friendship as a mark of that community. Philippians is known as Paul's friendliest letter, partly because um, if you've read the other letters, you see that he takes a much friendlier tone in this one, a little less scolding but also because he's writing with, to, and about his friends. Now remember that the church in Philippi, this church was receiving this letter, is a part of the Roman Empire. And in the Roman Empire, the concept of friendship was one of competition. You wanted to be better than your friends. You wanted to one-up them at every chance you got. So, if you had a dinner gathering, you would all gather and try to show off what you had and impress each other. And a successful party would be one where all your friends leave jealous of you. Now, Paul offers an alternative definition of friendship for the gospel community. He offers a definition of friendship that is centered on the self emptying love of Christ. And in doing so, he provides a model for friendships in the gospel community. As we get into these friendships, uh, let's just take a moment and and ask God to help us this morning. God, we thank you for your words. Words that were written so long ago and yet still speak to us today. So God, as we look at friendship, I ask that you would eat that you would meet each one of us where we are, God, that you would show us what we need to hear and help us know how we can respond to you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I mentioned before that uh, Paul, he's writing this letter to the church in Philippians, in Philippi, and the people there are called the Philippians. Now, Paul was A traveling pastor of sorts. So he would go to different churches, he would preach, he would encourage people, um, he would gather new believers, and then he would move on to the next place. But at this point in his journey, he can't do that because he is in prison. He wants to continue to encourage the churches so he decides to write them letters and he'll always send that letter with a leader that he trusts another another church leader who can deliver it and let the church know um, that everything is going to be okay and that paul will visit them eventually and this is what paul is describing in the first passage we wrote he's describing why he can't come but who he will send instead and he gives us um, two of his friends here so First, he talks about Timothy. Now, Timothy is also um, a co-author of the book of Philippians, and Paul has nothing but good things to say about him. Timothy has been caring for Paul while he's in prison, and Paul knows that the church will benefit from Timothy, but he wants to keep him for now because he's really vital to caring for Paul. So Paul says, Timothy is the obvious person to send to you, but I'm not quite ready to let go of him. But he's the obvious choice because he shows genuine care for the people of God, something that makes him stand out from other church leaders at this time. And this word genuine, it has the idea of of birthright behind it, that Timothy has inherited this, this desire to care, this duty to care. It is his birthright. It is something that he has inherited from Christ himself. And Timothy is... So valuable that again, Paul says, I want to send him to you, but I still need him here. So he will come eventually, but not yet. Because Paul knows the value of having a good friend by your side. Paul recognizes that this is something we all need, especially when we're having a difficult time. So, since the church can't have Timothy right away, he tells them that he's going to send them Epaphroditus. Now, Epaphroditus had actually been sent to Paul by the church to care for Paul. The church wanted to encourage Paul and and show their support, so they sent Epaphroditus to care for him. But it didn't turn out very well, or at least it didn't turn out as he had expected it would. Epaphroditus goes and... Somehow, we don't know what happened to him, but he gets sick and almost dies. His plan to minister to Paul didn't quite turn out as he went and then he needed to be cared for. He needed to be nursed back to health. Now, I imagine for Epaphroditus, this would have been a very discouraging ordeal. He's going, he's proud to be able to represent the church, proud to care for Paul while he's struggling. And then he needs to be cared for. But still, Paul speaks very highly of this man. He doesn't say he was a disappointment or a burden. He calls him a brother, a co-worker, and a fellow soldier. Now, that idea of soldier, it tells us that there's a struggle that they're in together, that it's not easy work they're doing. But Paul is just letting Epaphroditus know that he is valuable. Just because his journey to Paul, to support Paul, didn't go as he thought it would doesn't mean that he failed. Then we get to the passage in chapter four, which gives us a lot of names and a few verses. We have Euodia and Syntyche. These are two more co-workers of Paul. And these women, they are leaders in the Philippian church. And we don't know what has happened between them or between them and Paul, but they're in some sort of disagreement. Now whatever this disagreement is, it must have been fairly significant because Paul, this is an open letter to the church, remember, and he decides to call them out on it. It's not a private um, admonition to them, it's in front of everyone, all the believers. So Paul takes this time in this letter to address their disagreement. And he doesn't tell them who is right. He doesn't tell them what the answer is. He tells them to make up. That's the important piece, not who is right, but that they are united. Now, these are women who have worked alongside Paul in spreading the gospel, and that work that they are doing is too valuable to let a difference come between them. Whatever their struggle is, whatever it is they can't agree on, they need to resolve it. It's a little bit refreshing to read about this disagreement they're having. Because it reminds us that in the gospel community, we don't always get along with each other. We don't always agree. In fact, sometimes we disagree more than we agree with each other. But these women, they show us how important it is to be honest. You know, honesty often leads to disagreements. It often leads to conflict. But the important thing is that unity is maintained, even when there are differing opinions, and we'll come back to that a little bit later. So we've met Timothy, Epaphroditus, Euodia, and Syntyche, and then we have Clement. And Clement, he doesn't really get any details. We don't know too much about him, except that he is part of the church. He's there. And Paul took the time to name him. Um, he named, you know, Iodia, U- Syntyche, the other coworkers, and then kind of stuck Clement's name in there too. And maybe that's because Clement was someone who had to overcome hardship or disunity. Maybe he was an other and then became part of the community. We don't know, but again, Paul takes the time to drop his name in there. And I can't help but think that he's doing that to make a point. Iodia and Sintiki, you can get over this. You know, look at Clement. He's here. He's part of our community. He's someone who embodies gospel unity. And if that's the case, well, we should all want to be like Clement. You should all want to be someone who can just have their name stuck somewhere when someone's trying to make a point about the unity of the church. Now, those are the friends that Paul names. But there is also one that he doesn't name. In chapter 4, verse 3, Paul appeals to his true companion, his loyal Syzygos, it's a Greek word that I can't pronounce, uh, but the literal translation of this word is yoke fellow. It brings up images of oxen, oxen who are plowing a field and they are yoked together and so they have to work together step by step, side by side. And this would have been a familiar term um, for those people because this was a common method of farming. You would have oxen to plow your field. And this yoke fellow, this is the one in the congregation who works to heal wounds, who is there to help restore relationships. This yoke fellow is there to remind everyone who they are serving, who they are centering their service around, and that they should be selfless and not selfish. So those are Paul's ministry leaders. Those are his co-workers, Those are his friends. He uses a few different terms to describe them, but it's his crew. These are his people. Now, as we read about these friends, it gives us a chance to pause and think about our own friendships, particularly our own Christian friendships, those who share a gospel calling with us. You know, as disciples of Christ, we are called to make this world a better place. But this isn't something that we're supposed to do by ourselves. Who are the people that support us as we minister to others? You know, we often talk about the church as a family. That's good, it's a great word. But we have to remember that we're supposed to be friends, too. I mean, depending on who you are, you might like your family, you might not. Your family is, you know, they're people you're kind of stuck with. But your friends, you choose your friends. You want to spend time with your friends. You make the extra effort to be with them. And we need to be intentional about making friendships and even strategic about who those friends are that we need in our lives who those people are going to be when the rain starts to pour. Now, as we look at Paul's friends and how they minister together, there are certain themes that mark these relationships. They all take responsibility for one another. They're all concerned with each other's welfare. But they all also each teach us one thing or show us one friend that we might need to have in our life. From Timothy, we learn about humble service. His genuine care for others is based on the example that Jesus gives of laying down his life for his sheep. Timothy leads from this place of sacrificial love. He's not in it for his own power or glory. He's in it because he loves Jesus, and he wants to share that love with others. And the word genuine that Paul uses to describe him really stands out. We need friends who are genuine in their care for us. Friends who aren't in it to get something from us or because it's convenient to spend time with us, but who genuinely want to be there for us to support us and love us. From Epaphroditus we learn that it's important to follow Christ, even when the journey ends up looking a little different than we expect. But in terms of his friendship, we learn that it's okay to let others take care of us sometimes, even when we're trying to take care of them. You know, he was sent to care for Paul, but ended up needing to be cared for. And that takes a lot of humility. It takes humility to let others care for you. If you have a relationship where one person is always doing the caring, it's not a friendship. From Yodia and Sintiki we learn that friends get in conflict. And maybe we all know this, but I'll say it anyway. Conflict is not a bad word. No, conflict is good because it leads to growth if we work through it. And again, we have to remember when we are in conflict who it is that we serve. If we can agree on who Jesus is, that Jesus is Lord, then nothing else, nothing else should become a barrier to us serving together. Just let that sink in for a moment. Then we get to Clement. What do we learn from Clement? We learn that we need to reflect the gospel in our lives. There has to be a continuity that comes from the inner life we we have with Christ that flows outward into our relationships, into the way we treat other people. We should exemplify the gospel in the way we interact with other people. And finally, from the true companion, we learn that we should all be concerned with the restoration of relationships in our church community. When we see a fractured relationship, we should step in lovingly. We should be there to help our friends work through their differences. These are the marks of spiritual friendships. And our desire should be for these types of relationships in our church community. And I think that the importance of having Christian friends, friends who, who love Jesus, this can be overlooked sometimes. You know, sometimes I'll hear people say that their faith is personal. It's between them and God. Occasionally I've heard other Christians say, well, I don't really like to be around other Christians. But that's not what God calls us to. God gives us the church. This is our beautiful community, our beloved community. I know sometimes, too, we can take it too far and the church can become too insular, too much like a social club. But we want to make sure that we're doing it right. And I think Philippians gives us the formula, the the method, the example for how we can do this. I want to take a moment to to talk about the word reconciliation here. This is something that uh, we see for the True Companion. Their job is to oversee this reconciliation. And this is a big word these days. We hear this a lot and I think to some extent it's losing a little bit of its meaning. But I wonder if we even need to use that word, (laughs) reconciliation, or if we can just use the word relationship. Because relationship, if you are pursuing a relationship with someone, at some point there will be a fracture, there will be a disagreement, there will be something that divides you, and I think when we use the word reconciliation, we, we forget that, that relationships are hard, that relationships aren't always smooth and easy. Pursuing a relationship will require that you work through conflict. It will require that you put aside your own beliefs, your own opinions, to love the other. I know in the church that When relationships break, unfortunately, the community can break as well. You go your way, I'll go mine. And I think that sometimes it's helpful to have time apart, but there has to be some kind of coming back together. And this is the power of the gospel that we can disagree on things, that we don't have to see eye to eye on everything. But, again, that as long as we agree that Jesus is Lord, then we can come back together. We can serve together and do life together. And this is really the witness that the church has to offer, the way we treat each other, the way we can be united despite our differences. And the world needs to see this because we are in a world that is marked by broken relationships. Broken relationships with our creator, broken relationships with each other, broken relationships with ourselves, and broken relationships with creation. So the pursuit of the gospel is really the pursuit of relationships. Now, Philippians is an exhortation to participate in God's mission, in his redemptive mission. But there is no mission without relationship. No mission is grounded in relationship, both relationship with God and relationship with his people, with the church. Jesus never wanted us to do this by ourselves. And I think that we love the narrative of a, a superstar, either a Christian superstar or, you know, the, the smartest guy in the room narrative where one person is going to step in and have all the answers. Okay, that did happen. That was Jesus. But since then, we don't do it alone. We do it with each other. When Jesus sent out his disciples, he sent them out in a buddy system. And same with Paul. Paul. We often talk about Paul as the author of these letters, but he always starts his letters by saying who he's writing with. He always has someone who's there beside him, a friend who is there supporting him and working with him. And we all need this. We all need those friends. So my challenge to you this morning is to get some friends. Get some friends who are co-workers, and sharing in the gospel. Friends who have the qualities that Paul's friends have. Friends who love Jesus and want to spread his love and joy to the world. Friends who will practice spiritual disciplines with you. Friends who will pray for you. Friends who will make you food and eat the food you make, even if it's not always good. And this is something that you, you can find if you're in a life group, it's hard to, to have that with your whole church. You, you can't have it with your whole church. But if you're in a life group, I think that's really the perfect place to, to have those friends, to cultivate those relationships, to have disagreements in a safe place, but then to come together after, to, to eat and drink and laugh together. And friendships, again, they should be bumpy There should be drama. There should be disagreements. But at the end of the day, you come back to the table. Or for us, at the end of the the week, the month, we come back to the communion table. We come together again and remember what it is that unites us. And if you do have a group of friends and everything has been pleasant and smooth, then I'm going to challenge you. (laughs) Add some diversity to your friendship group because it's easy to love people that are just like us. It's easy. But we're supposed to love those who aren't like us too. And we don't care for others because they're like us, we don't care for others because they're going to care for us. We care for others because Jesus cares for us so abundantly, so completely, that we can't help but let it flow out from us. We can't help but share that love with others. There's a, a theologian named Francis Schaeffer, and he said that if we do not show beauty in the way we treat, other, treat each other, then in the eyes of the world and in the eyes of our own children, we are destroying the truth that we proclaim. If we do not show beauty in the way we treat each other, then in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of our own children, we are destroying the truth we proclaim. I know I want that beauty in my relationships. Again, it's not about being nice. It's about being able to be genuine with one another, to work through conflict with one another. And how we treat each other has kingdom consequences. So my prayer for all of us is that those consequences of our relationships help the cause of the kingdom rather than work against it. Just going to take a, a moment to, to look at the last verse now. Finally, rejoice in the Lord always. Always. And again, I say, rejoice. And again, this is that reminder that Paul has throughout this book to always come back to Christ, our center. Our natural inclination is to rejoice in our circumstances. When things are good, we rejoice. When things are bad, we complain. This is a natural human thing that we do. And learning to rejoice always, I think that's a discipline. It's not something you can just decide to do. You have to practice it and be intentional about doing it. But rejoicing always comes a lot easier when you have friends who are willing to do it with you. When you have friends who are reminding you what is important. And this is what Paul is doing for his friends. He's reminding them what is important. He's reminding them who is important. And he reminds them to be grateful for each other. He calls them his joy. He tells them to honor each other. And this is something that we can rejoice about. We rejoice about what Christ has done in our lives, but we rejoice over the people he has placed in our lives. We rejoice over the people that are walking alongside us on this journey sharing in God's mission and we we need this the world needs this because the world is a very lonely place one of my favorite verses is in psalm 68 and it says that God places the lonely in families and loneliness this is an epidemic It's getting worse, and I know during COVID it's become even more of an epidemic. We can't even begin to imagine the consequences of it. And this should be a place where people can come, where people can come in their loneliness and find friendship, find that community. This should be a place where you have people that look at you and say, You are my joy. And it's not that hard. I've been able to spend time with a lot of you over the last few months and get to know you and hear your stories. There's a lot of really interesting people in this church with a lot of great stories and wonderful hearts for mission, wonderful desires to, to be committed to prayer. And I have to say it's been a joy for me It's been a joy to hear about your lives. It's been a joy to pray with you. It's been a joy to get your gardening tips because I I don't know much about gardening and I'm learning a lot. God is good and God longs to be good to us. And part of the way he is good to us is by providing people who can walk alongside us on this journey, who can minister with us who can be co-workers in the gospel or who can be our friends. You still have to do the work. You still have to pursue the relationship to take the time and the effort. You still have to work through the disagreements and the conflict. But it's always worth it. So I'll give you one final challenge today as the worship team comes back up. But the challenge is for you to pray this week and ask God to put someone on your heart, a name of a person within your church community who needs a friend. And then I encourage you to reach out to them. You can tell them that they are your joy. You can check in. And then take time to rejoice together. Rejoice in what God is doing in your lives and what he is doing through Spring Garden. And rejoice in what he will do as you continue to pursue this relationship. Amen.